0: with you. And also. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you have uh, made yourself known to us, that you have blessed us, that you have revealed yourself uh, to us. God, we thank you for those who have gone before us, who have, um, in this case, who have given to us a summary of um, of Christian faith. And so we, we pray as we walk through that, Lord, that we see not just what we believe and why we believe it, but how we are a part of a great cloud of witnesses and the, um, the heirs of a legacy of faith. It goes back thousands of years. So God, thank You for that. I pray that Your Spirit would be our teacher and that You would forgive us for our sins and that You would uh, open to us the way of life. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you may feel free to continue your um, French toast. So awesome and uh... bacon and uh... and coffee and all that get up if you need to uh... let's say together the apostles creed so i've got the nicene creed just really for comparison's sake this will basically be the handout that we give And each week i'll put a block around the the uh... section that we are uh... gonna cover so today we're gonna cover the part about god the father but let's say together the apostles creed i believe in god the father almighty I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. All right. So, a creed, uh, you know, we have the Apostles' Creed, we have the Nicene Creed, and I'll talk about the difference between those things, those two creeds, in just a minute. We also have the Athanasian Creed, which is a little less well-known, you will find it in very small print towards the, uh, towards the back of your book of common prayer. Um, it's a, a creed is a summary statement. It is not exhaustive. Right? Like, like our vision statement uh, for the church. <clears throat> we exist to help people wherever they are in their spiritual journey to live into a personal intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. That describes what we do, but it doesn't describe everything we do. But it's just—it's a summary statement, right? It's a—it's a—it's a direction. This is a creed is like that. It's a—it's not exhaustive. It doesn't state everything we believe, but it summarizes the most important things. And in fact, uh, denominationally and even across denominations, when we are uh, trying to find things that unite us rather than things that divide us, the creeds are usually where we go we find that we have a creedal faith we may disagree on uh, political issues or uh, you know hot topics or whatever but but if we can if we can settle on on our creedal faith then uh, then we have that in common and we can move uh, forward from there just a brief history of the uh, apostles creed um, it's called a cre- Creed is derived from the Latin word credo, which means, you may know this, but it means I believe. Right? For a thousand years, uh, after, uh, in, into European Christianity, uh, they knew this statement of faith in Latin. And so, the first, first uh, word was credo, and so they developed the English word, it's kind of an old English word, creed. Um, it's not written by the apostles, uh, the actual apostles. But it was written within the first 200 years of Christianity to reflect the apostles' teaching. The first creed was probably just Jesus as Lord. But they needed to to understand more about what that meant. And of course then, even this didn't answer some of the questions that were coming up, so they we, we have the Nicene Creed, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But... Um, the, this Apostles' Creed from the earliest times of Christian history was used in baptismal preparation. So, when someone came to faith in Christ or, or thought they wanted to know more about Christ and were preparing to be baptized, usually on Easter, they would walk through the 40 days of Lent. Sometimes they would take two years, really. Um, but they would particularly use the, the Apostles' Creed. This is the Creed, a summary of reflection of uh, of the most important teaching. And it's particularly about who God is. Um, it's confessing uh, so they would confess their allegiance to Christ, right? I mean that was they, were, they could see these were Christians, they were followers of, of Christ, but not only a man named Jesus. They were um, following, they needed to understand they were following the Trinitarian God, the God who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit, uh, not just, a man named Jesus. And this actually follows the, the pattern given to us in the Great Commission. Uh, Matthew 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if we're going to baptize them and we're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit, we need to teach them that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's where why the pattern of the creed came to be like it is. God is triune. So you say, I believe in God. But who is God? God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can't have the Father without the Holy Spirit. and You can't have the Son without the Father and, and so forth. They are not God without all three. And yet they are one. It's a, it's a, it's a mystery. And I'm going to show you a little clip here uh, that, that shows us just how hard it is uh, to explain in what I think is a very uh, good way. But um, you can pray to any... The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because they're all one, right? But they're not the same. They're not the same. The Father is not the Son. Son is not the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is God, and the Father is God. So, so it's uh, we're not mo- we're not polytheists. We don't believe in separate gods. They are one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, let me show you this clip from a group called Lutheran Satire. <laughs> And I highly recommend any of their things. Let's see here. This is Trent's computer, so. Okay.
1: (laughs) Okay, Patrick, tell us a bit more about this Trinity thing. Yeah, Patrick, tell us. But remember that we're simple people without your fancy education and books and learning. And we're hearing about all of this for the first time. So try to keep it simple. Okay, Patrick? Yeah, real
2: simple, Patrick. Sure, there are uh, three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yet there is only one God. Don't get what you're saying here, Patrick.
1: Not picking up what you're laying down here, Patrick. Could you use an analogy,
2: Patrick? Sure. Uh, Trinity is like, uh, water, and how you can find water in three different forms. Liquid, and ice, and vapor.
1: That's modalism, Patrick! What? Modalism, an ancient heresy confessed by teachers such as Noetis and Sibelius, which espouses that God is not three distinct persons, but that he merely reveals himself in three different forms. This heresy was clearly condemned in Canon 1 at the First Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, and those who confess it cannot rightly be considered a part of the Church Catholic. Come on, Patrick! Yeah, get it together, Patrick!
2: Okay, uh, then the Trinity is like uh, the sun in the sky, where you have the star and the light and the heat. Oh, Patrick.
1: Come on, Patrick. That's Arianism, Patrick. Arianism? Yes, Arianism, Patrick. A theology which states that Christ and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Father and not one in nature with him, exactly like how heat and light are not the star itself, but are merely creations of the star. That's a bad analogy, Patrick.
2: You're the worst, Patrick. Alright, sorry, the Trinity is like uh, this three-leaf clover
1: here. I'm gonna stop you right there, Patrick. (laughs) Yeah, hold your horses, Patrick. about to confess partialism. Partialism? Yes, partialism, a heresy which asserts that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not distinct persons of the Godhead, but are different parts of God, each composing one-third of the divine. And who confesses the heresy of partialism? The first season of the cartoon program Voltron, where five robot lion cars merge together to form one giant robot samurai, obviously. Uh, I've never heard of Voltron. Of course you haven't. It's not gonna exist for another 1,500 years now, Patrick. Yeah, get with the program, Patrick. I mean really,
2: Patrick. I'm gonna stab you in the face, Patrick.
1: Okay, that was probably a bit much.
2: (laughs) All right, I'll try again. Uh, The Trinity is like how the same man can be a husband and a father and an employer. Moralism again! Alright, then it's like the three layers of an apple. Personalism revisited! Fine. The Trinity is a mystery which cannot be comprehended by human reason, but is understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which states that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance, that we are compelled by the Christian truth to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord, that the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. Well, why didn't
1: you just say that, Patrick? Yeah. <laughs> around the bush, Patrick. Now let's all put on some giant green foam hats, get riotously drunk, and vomit in the Chicago River to celebrate our conversion. <laughs> Guys, do for a living? Well, we come from a long line of snake farmers, Patrick, but truth be told, business has been real bad lately. Oh, yeah, Yeah,
2: about that.
0: (laughs) Lutheran satire. They got a whole bunch of them, but I, I think that one is really, really good. Oh no, it's closed. It should it should just shut off. So if it does, then I guess we'll have to watch another Lutheran satire. So the Trinity is famously difficult to understand. In fact, if you think you understand it, you're probably, as you found out, a heretic. Um, But it is it is a uh, it is a truth that God is three persons, and so that's why we state: I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. I believe in God the Holy Spirit. So the Apostles' Creed was developed to catechize new believers uh, prior to baptism. And uh, talks about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the role of the benefits of each person, uh, role and benefits of each person of the Trinity. The Nicene Creed was developed in response to a particular controversy in the 300s. So they had the Apostles' Creed, but it didn't it didn't answer one of those heresies, which is that um, uh, Arianism which is to say that Jesus and the Holy Spirit were created by the Father. Maybe first, you know, when you say the firstborn of all creation, that doesn't mean that Jesus was created. Uh, and, and, and that heresy tried to understand uh, Jesus and His relationship to the Father, and the church fathers said, No, uh, God, uh, Jesus was always uh, eternal. He was there in the beginning um, already. So, uh, what was the nature of Jesus? And we'll talk particularly about this uh, next week because that's, that's where the Nicene Creed really gets expansive on uh, the, the being and the nature of, of Christ. The last thing before we get into the, this passage about God the Father is just to say that um, in the Apostles' Creed and in all up until 1979 in the Nicene Creed, we always say, I believe. I believe in God the Father. And in the 1979 prayer book, as far as I can tell, that's the first time we switch in the right to to uh, in the Nicene Creed to "We believe, we believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth," um, and we don't um, is to say that uh, I believe. credo means I believe, not I don't know what it would be credamos or something like that it would be we believe, um, and uh, but it's. To, to say, as I can imagine, that the intent was to be community-oriented, uh, to combat the uh, rampant individualism uh, of our own culture, uh, and to show that we are part of something greater than ourselves. We corporately come together in unified faith. We believe, right? That's a good thing, as a religious posture, rather than to say, you know, sort of me, myself, and the whole, and and, and God. It's it's um. It's not just about what I believe. We're part of the church Catholic, the universal church. We believe believe together. That has been misused. People have seen that as an excuse to say, I don't have to believe all of this as long as we believe it. I can still be part of the church. And I think that is a a misuse of it. Um, Which is not to say that if you're struggling with one aspect or multiple aspects even of of the creeds, that that's, that's a bad thing necessarily. It's good to wrestle with your faith. Um, I prefer, and that's why in the right one 8 o'clock service, we always say, I, I believe rather than, than we believe. Because I think it's important to know what you believe, and we're worshiping together, so I don't think we're in danger of um, misusing it. All right, so what does I believe mean? I believe. How do we normally think of that in our culture? We actually, like the word love. You know, love can mean a lot of things. I can love all of you. I can love my wife. That's a different kind of love. I can love p- potato chips. That's a different kind of love. There we only have one word. The Greeks had what like 13 words or something like that for that, but we have one similar with belief. We don't have the word more the better word is faith, but we don't have a verb to faith. We say we put our faith in, but we don't have a to 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 faith um, uh, to that's essentially what they meant when we say I believe I am putting my faith in uh, I believe in God in our culture it means mental assent right I believe in UFOs I, 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 it's just a thing or it's a concept I believe in UFOs I believe in dragons I believe in fairies I believe it means I mentally I think that those things are there and a lot of times that's what Someone might mean when they say, I believe in God. It's not, not talking about trust or a commitment. Um, it, sometimes belief in our culture can represent an unfounded hope. I believe our team's going to win the championship this year, right? Really, what I mean is, I hope. I, hope, I mean, I'm crossing my fingers. I hope that our, but we, we use the word belief that way. And sort of in the middle of those, we have statements that hope to sound uh, set. Hope to sound well reasoned, but which may not actually be. We might say, "I believe Blake Bortles is the best quarterback in the NFL." Well, that sounds yeah. That sounds well. You know, that sounds like I've really done my research, and, and I, I haven't. I just I just like it, right? I just it's an opinion statement. Uh, if I say that, I, and you might think I'm really smart, or you might not. Um, so I think uh, it, it is my opinion. And this seems to be the sense that most people in our culture hear, to me anyway, uh, hear the words, I believe in God. I I think that God exists. That's kind of how we hear it. um, And I'm sure that that is pervasive in sort of liberal mainline Protestantism. Um, Let's be clear that this is not what the Greeks who originated the Apostles' Creed believed. Uh, when they said, I believe. They didn't, they didn't understand belief to be mental assent or opinion. Um, it's like when we say, to, uh, it is mental assent, but it's deeper than that, right? It's like when we say, I believe in something. I believe in free speech. We're not just saying we think that free speech exists. We're saying that there's some level, level of commitment that is implied. When I say to you, hey, I believe in you, right? D- depending on the circumstance. Maybe I'm, I'm just hopeful. But, um, like, I believe you can win the swim meet. Well, I, I hope you will. I'm-, I'm not sure you can. But, uh, but if we say I believe in a political candidate, we're actually probably implying commitment, right? The long haul. We're, we're, we really think they can do something. So we're, when we believe in um, putting my trust in what you bring to the table, uh, there's more commitment there. Um, Alistair McGrath is a, a British scholar. He says that faith is assent, faith is trust, and faith is commitment. So assent, mental assent, I believe it exists. I, I believe God. There is a God. An essential starting point. Right? You've got to have that. you got to have assent. We do need to believe in the proposition that God exists. That, I mean, if you say, I believe in God, and you don't believe He exists, that, that's, that's a non-sequitur, right? So you got to have mental assent. But also there's, there's trust, there's, there's, it's deeper. Uh, it's not just mental, it's emotional, right? There's personal confidence in the object of your trust. I believe in this candidate. I, I am putting some confidence uh, in, in he or she and what they can do for our district, our country, or whatever it is. But then McGrath says there's also commitment. And that's the way, that's particularly the way it was to be understood when we say, I believe, credo. Like the way a rock climber would, and I've used this before, but the way a rock climber says, I believe in the rope I'm hanging from, right? I'm a thousand feet above anything, but I'm perfectly safe because this rope is going hold to hold me. I believe in it. I believe in it. So, if faith were a verb, to faith, then that would, that's what it would mean. To put our trust in. I believe in God. J.I. Packer is a, another scholar. He says, I, I believe into God. If you think about that a little, I believe into Him. I, I'm, I'm placing myself in His hands. I'm entrusting myself to God. So that's really what we mean when we say, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. When we say credo, I believe, as we're saying I, I'm hanging from Him. I'm pinning my hopes on Him. Right? So any questions about that before we get to specifically God the Father? Okay? I believe in God the Father. So I'm entrusting myself to God who has revealed Himself as Father. He's revealed Himself as Father. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've met some folks that have a real hard time with God as Father. And the reason... It's because they didn't have a great father. Their earthly experience of fatherhood was negative. Occasionally, it's because they themselves, as men, were were not great fathers, and, and so how is God? But but more often, it's it's because my dad was absent or um, was present but vacant, um, was an alcoholic or was abusive, something like that, and. What we can understand in that situation is that God is the perfect Father. He is everything, whether you had a great Father or not a great Father, He is everything that your Father ought to have been and more. And He is, in fact, the Father that we were made for. And He is our Father because we are, in, and only if, we are in Christ. We are in a, he is the Father of Jesus. The Son, and if we are in Christ, then He is our Father. That's the way that Jesus taught us to pray. When you pray, pray saying, "Our Father," right? That's He's showing the intimacy. I mean, um, He was God was often referred to, or or several times referred to, the Father of Israel in the Old Testament, but never the Father of one person. Yet Jesus teaches us because God is His Father that when we are in Christ, that God is our. Father. And I just want to say, and maybe you've seen some stuff in the news, I want to be stridently opposed to any liturgical innovation that denies the fatherhood of God. Um, It is not sexist. It is not oppressive to say that God is our Father because God is good. He is better than any of us and that is the way He has chosen to reveal Himself. Um, In His great wisdom, His infinite wisdom. Of course, we understand that God is above gender. He is not male. He is not female. He is not confined to he or she, father or mother. But God in His wisdom has revealed Himself in that way. And He is our Father because He is the Father of Jesus. There was a... um, And I hadn't read it in a long time, and I never saw the movie, but uh, in the shack. uh, One of the lines that I remember is that... um, And remember, for the first... But four-fifths of the of the book or the movie, the um, the father is actually presented as a woman. That's what he needed at, at that time. But he Willie asks him if I remember the scene correctly. He asks Why asks Papa, Why did you reveal yourself as father? And the response is because I knew that they were everyone was going to need a father. The fathers were going to be so absent. I don't know. That's not exactly what the way it was put, but there was so much. Um, Absence of God and um, uh, absence of fatherhood—that you are going to need a father—and I've always resonated with that. Um, His—it is consistent with his goodness, his kindness, his love, his justice. He is Father. Now, if if that is difficult for you, or if that's offensive to you, like I want to honor that. Like, I don't want to say, oh, you're wrong. You're bad." Uh, I just want to say, let's let's think about. Why God has revealed Himself that way? This is not the product of sort of a um, uh, an oppressive culture of power-hungry men. God has always revealed Himself in Scripture uh, as Father. Um, any questions about that? Want to push back at all? So I, I, again, I don't want to I don't want to discount the struggle. Um, those are real, and you're allowed to struggle. But I I do want to say that where we want to land is to understand God as God understands Himself, or at least as God has chosen to reveal Himself uh, to us. All right. So He is Father, but He is the Father Almighty. Uh, It is the almightiness of God that requires our submission to Him. Right? If God were just our buddy, we could do whatever we want and maybe consult Him or whatever, but He is... He is our Father, so there's an intimacy, but He is the Father Almighty. I mean, that just never... I, was, I mentioned it a little bit in, our, in the sermon today. I, it just never ceases to blow my mind that God, it is the Creator of all that there is, everything the Hubble telescope has ever seen, uh, all that there is, all of science, all of creation, which did not exist until He told it to exist. That that's whose presence we're coming into, and we say, "Our Father." it <laughs> mind-boggling. I want to read for you. I meant to bring my Bible. Um, you would think uh, Bible study. I'm going to bring my Bible, but I've got I've got one right here. Um, I want to read just snippets of Psalm 96, Psalm 97. Mm-hmm. Just uh, and there's you know of course tons and tons more. Sing to the Lord. A new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, bless His name, declare His glory among the nations, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are His sanctuary. Scribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness tremble before him, all the earth. Let the heavens be glad, and the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar, and all that fills it, let the field exult in everything in it. In all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. The Lord reigns, this is Psalm ninety seven. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries, the lightnings his lightnings light up the world, the earth sees and trembles, mountains melt like wax before the Lord, the heavens proclaim his righteousness, all worshipers are images worshippers of images are put to shame. Worship him all you gods, for you, O oh Lord, are most high over all the earth. J I Packer says that men treat God's sovereignty as a matter for controversy. But in Scripture, God's sovereignty is a matter of worship. God's sovereignty is a matter of worship. It's not just that He is more powerful than you. That, that's like Zeus. Like, why should you fear Zeus? Because he's bigger than you, right? He's going to zap you if you get out of line. It's that He made us. Psalm 100, verse 3, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. He is, uh, we are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Right? He is almighty. He made you. He made you for Himself. That's, it's His almightiness that requires our submission to Him. Again, the fact that when we pray, we're coming into the presence of the God of all creation. He's the maker of all things, seen and unseen. Uh, His mind came up with both the minute intricacies of atomic science and the breadth of galactic space. I just, and he figured out how those things work together by saying, let there be light. Let there be land. You you can go to Genesis one and see how it is. It just blows me away. You can't imagine nothing. That's what there was was nothing. When you imagine what nothing is, there's something there, right? There's there's black. I mean that black is something, you know. I don't know. And he said, "Let there be," and there was. So the Nicene Creed said, expands it just a little bit, right? And we can, we'll see next week why uh, it does. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. So God is not just the maker of the, the mountains and the seas and the duck-billed platypus and, and humans and things like that. And he is the maker of the spiritual realm, the unseen realm, the angels. And even the demons. I mean, that's what we understand. Lucifer to be a, a fallen angel and all the demons to be uh, uh, followers uh, of, of Lucifer that were created beings. Um, angels, heaven, whatever realm is outside of time, whatever dimension exists apart from our own, that God created it. Um, and we would understand, and I, some people have, I've been found in, found myself in a few conversations lately about the, just the ma- there's of some articles about the massiveness. I mean, just beyond human comprehension, the massiveness of the, of the universe. Surely we can't be all there there is. People will say. I don't care. I mean, I, I'd be happy for there to be more. But if there is, God created it. He's the. Um, I just read *Wrinkle in Time* for the first time, and it's it's go- it's gorgeous. And when they go to this other planet, they're just espousing scripture when they're talking. They are not you say it the same way, but. I mean, obviously that's a human creation, a wrinkle in time, but it's just, it was a neat way to think about it. So we approach the throne of grace with confidence, this amazing throne of grace that, that is God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, Hebrews 4.16. We approach the throne of grace with confidence. This is the God in whom we believe, credo, right? In whom we are entrust, to whom we are entrusting ourselves. Uh, upon whom we are hanging our eternal hope. I believe in God. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but as He is the Father, He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the one from whom the Holy Spirit proceeds. So I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. We've got five minutes, but that's the end of my notes. So, uh, questions or thoughts or comments? Yes, sir, Ted. It was, uh, in the
2: 1970s, I think it was, there was a book with the title, Are You Running With Me, Jesus? Hmm. remember that? And it,
0: it always... 1970s. That's that is. Um, I don't remember that. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, guess, I guess it was designed to you know to uh, be attractive to young people. Sure. But it always struck me as, as sort of as inappropriate familiarity.
2: Hmm. To say you know, to speak of Jesus as your you know it's easier to speak of
0: Jesus perhaps as your buddy than it is God the Father. Right. But still, it seemed. A bit too much. There is a relatability that comes with the fact that God incarnate, I mean, who walked and suffered and, and lived and ate and like like we do and, and had relationships. There is a relatability. There is, I don't think it's inappropriate to think of God as our brother. We are co heirs with Christ. But to think of him in terms of Jesus is my homeboy, uh, which That's I what yeah. You suggest. Yeah. I mean, that is, I think, well, I'll say not helpful. So. Mm. Yeah, Rick.
2: I, I always felt differently before and after I was a parent
0: myself. Yes, yes. That God is my father mm-hmm. before I was a father um, didn't have the same meaning mm-hmm. that it does after I'm mm-hmm. a father. And, you know, I can look at young people that are the same age as my children, my grown children, mm-hmm. and, and say, so, yeah, I really like that person, but I have a different... A different connection with the, those same-age people that are my children, mm. and so I kind of like to project that onto how God sees me. That says, "Yeah, great." That same connection that I feel is hopefully what He feels toward me. Well, and probably so much more so. Yeah, but but yes, I think I think that is another reason why God has made Himself Father, because we understand parenthood. Mm. We understand that when our kids mess up, we still love them. Even if they're estranged from us, God forbid. Um, Jump in front of a bus for them, you know, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So we understand a, a love that is was, was willing to sacrifice ourselves for them, which mm-hmm. he certainly did. Uh, we understand if, if we have loss of a child, we understand that God understands what it's like to, mm-hmm. as a father, understands loss. So yeah, there is a lot of relatability that comes and I, and I would agree. I mean, I've had that same thought. Uh, I understand much more God's fatherhood being a father. Mm-hmm. And I think that the same translates for, for mothers. Yeah. So, um, He is our, our parent. Uh, and, and that's how he is. You know, it's interesting. God, uh, Jesus, I, I said this a few weeks ago. I'm not sure what context it was in. But someone said not in every single prayer that we have recorded of Jesus, he calls God his father except for one. And that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? in which he's um, on the cross and he's quoting Psalm 22. But in every other prayer that we have recorded of Jesus, we see him say, my Father. So. Great, what else? Yes,
1: Katie. I, I never had a problem with, with God creating all things. Mm-hmm. I almost drove myself crazy, literally, thinking about, well, how did God come to be? Mm. I still haven't grasped that. If I think about it too hard, I'll drive myself crazy.
0: Well, as someone asked, you know, who is God's daddy? God doesn't have a daddy. He just is. Where did He come from? Where did He come from? I mean, we don't have an answer to that. Except that He didn't. He didn't come from the other thing is, he was not just up there lonely, going, "Oh, I just wish I had somebody to talk to." He was perfect in community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit didn't need us. Out of His grace and mercy, created us. Out of His grace and mercy, has saved us. So he was perfectly content in Himself. I saw Richard Hand and then Charlene. Yep. In
2: 1961, on the campus of the University of Miami, I had a priest, Father Benton Ellis. And he was unbelievable really affected my life, but we got into a discussion, believe it or not, about gender and God and whatever, and he said,
0: whatever word we use to describe God, that word is inadequate. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. Whatever word we use to describe God is inadequate, therefore, I'm going to go with what God has said. So, he's revealed himself as Father. I mean... I, again, I'm not saying we talk about you know, God as creator, God as uh, redeemer, God as uh, you know there all, any number of things that we can use to Him. I'm not saying that one cat does the whole thing. I just think it's safest to go with the way that God has revealed Himself uh, to us. Yes?
2: What's always been the biggest mystery for me is God created the world with such perfection. Everything is perfect. Then he created humans, and it is—it's my understanding that he gave them choices, free will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just seems like why did he do that? Why didn't he just—he <laughs> so Everything perfect, <laughs> yeah, he and then so you know, was it? I mean, obviously the devil was created as well. Mm-hmm. So, but I—I I, I just can't compute that because the world. It's perfect in so many aspects, but free will has kind of messed a few things up here
0: and there. Well, free will has, and yet, you know, if you program—this is the whole Stepford Wife thing. I mean, if you if you program your wife to, to love you, your spouse to love you, it's not real love. I mean, it might be easy, yeah. you know. That's this again. If you've read or seen the Stepford Wife. Oh yeah. Stepford, yeah.
2: yeah. That was from the seventies.
0: Right. No, I just I heard somebody use it. A, I just heard somebody use that as a, as a sermon illustration. Um, yeah. Okay. yeah. When Nicole Kidman. She, yeah. Right. Oh, all right. Um, I, I, yeah. Well, I'm sure they they always are. The, the thing that com- the, only, the thing that comes to my mind, and this is a pretty deep thought, and then I'm going to have to end there, and we'll go to church. But. Um, That what we have in Christ as redeemed children is better and more fuller than what Adam would have had had he not fallen. If he was created only, but did not fall, then he would not have known redemption. And in Christ we have a fuller understanding of the person of God. Now I have not read uh, the Space Trilogy from C.S. Lewis. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that. and I'm sure he's given much more thought. I know one of those has to do with a, a visit to a planet that has not yet fallen. And I, I'm, I really want to read that and I hadn't done it. But, um, so I'm sure there's been more thought to that. But, but that is a, a thought that I still wrestle with. That's a, not my thought. It's a theologian's thought. But it's a, um, it is true as far as I can tell. All right. Lots more to say. We've got five more weeks. Uh, Bring your questions and bring your friends. God bless you.